Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen, amen, amen. So good to be in God's house, to love Him, and to be able to feel His love in return. Uh, just Not just songs that we sing, but they lay the groundwork for the preached Word of God. They also lay the groundwork for the tenderness of our heart to receive the Word of God. Amen. I believe God has already done a work in worship, but I believe there is a response that we owe unto God and unto the problems that we are presented with today. Amen, amen. Well, I would like for us, if we could, stand to read the Word of God. I so appreciate, as everybody else has said, to have Pastor and Bishop and Sister Riggin home with us. They are, their shoes we could all swim in, just one of them. So many things they're involved in and so great to be a part and to labor beside Bishop and Sister Riggin. It is truly an honor. Amen. In Psalms chapter 76, be reading in verse 1, be reading 1 through 7. Psalms 76 and verse 1, it says, In Judah is God known, his name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. There break he the arrows of the bow and the shield and the sword and the battle, Selah. Thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted are spoiled, and they have slept their sleep, and none of the men of might have found their hands. At thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and the horse are cast into a dead sleep. Thou, even thou, art to be feared, and who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? Amen, amen. Can we lay our Bibles down and let's ask God to touch the Word of God today. We love you, Jesus. I love you, Master. I so thank you, God, for your Word. God, I thank you for what you have done in my life. I love you, Jesus. Let's talk to Him this morning, saints of God. We love you, Master. We thank you, Master, for the opportunity to be able to call on your name, to be able to lift you up. Hallelujah, the great things you have done for us. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen, amen. You may be seated. I would like to read a second passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6. Talking about the whole armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and we go on down and it talks about all the things that we must apply. But I want to us to understand, we've had it preached and taught, and we've heard it so many times, that this is not just the physical that in which we battle. The things that I would say are going on in Africa against God's work are not just the physical. It is so much deeper and so much more powerful than just not having water and electricity. But the devil likes to play on the physical 
because that's what we seem to be most in touch with. We can see it, we can read the bill, we can hear the phone call, we can read the text, and it strikes us to our core. But I believe God is writing the book of victory, and that's what the title of my lesson this morning is, God is writing your book of victory. It so coincides with the music, the word, the worship that we heard this morning, and I believe God is wanting to help someone today. I feel his boldness, and I feel his anointing, and I want God to reach down and touch someone in a mighty way in your situation. Only God knows. I will not be preaching from Job, but we'll be drawing from the strength that he provided through the written word of God that we have. We read in Job, and it talks about everything that came against him. We hear and we read the conversation that Satan and God had on his behalf. In none of those conversations do we find Job in the midst saying, I object. I, are we going to ask me at any point in time how I feel about this situation? At no point in time in those conversations did God say, um, Job, how do you feel? But Job went into the trial and God made those decisions for that trial strictly based upon his walk with God at that present time. You today may be going through, and I would dare say are going through trials that you dare not say to someone around, but in your prayer, you begin to read the word of God and it strikes you and you say, God, I need your help. There are things in your life that God truly needs to touch. So we want to talk this morning about how God is going to deal with that, but also the ownership that you and I have for each and every one of our problems. In looking through Psalms, we find that it is a powerful word of God, and it's the song, uh, a song, a song of Asaph, to be delivered to the director of music, and it's to be arranged in the performance to accompany the string instruments. It was a song of victory. So prescribed that you can hand the song to them, and this is how it needs to be played. This appearance is to be celebrating the victory that Israel had over the Assyrians. Uh, the preceding psalm, it sang of the heroic anticipation of triumph, and this one has high praise in the realization of victory through the help that God would bring to them. And it's a beautiful psalm when you begin to read through it. And you begin to look at the words, it becomes to be so much more than just, that is pretty. Look what God has done. But when you look at the commentators and they begin to say, this most likely applies to a Bible verse of scripture that uh, we won't go to per se, but you'll read about it in Second Chronicles chapter 32 and Isaiah chapter 37. But this is implying that it's talking about the victorious army over Sennacherib. And as they encamped about Jerusalem and threatened to besiege them, unless Hezekiah would submit to them and admit them into their city and let down their gate, open up their doors and allow them to parade in and claim victory over them. But there was a man of God who said no. The invading army was massive and powerful and prior to this battle, was already signaling victory, saying that I will have victory over the children of Israel. And I, if I could apply something uh, from our language today, I would say that's a bold move, Cotton, because you're coming up against the people of God. Hezekiah, in his boldness, is strengthened by the word of the Lord and by the mouth of Isaiah, 
the prophet, and he refuses to surrender to the generals of Sennacherib. And if you read in Second Chronicles, it says he's telling to the children of Israel, he says, be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. And he goes to describe what they must do. With him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us. And to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah king of Judah. Children of... Of, of, of this church, this body, this family, I tell you today, whatever is presented to you in this moment, rest on these words. It's the arm of the flesh of what the devil wants to try to have victory over you today. But rest upon the word of God. We have a king. And he's never lost a battle. We have a king that's victorious and mighty. And when he walks up to the enemies, they fall at his feet. He only has to but send one angel to slay thousands upon thousands of enemies. God is on your side. If you go back to Psalms, I love this. I love when I read this, I said, God, this is how powerful you are. You begin to read the scripture and you begin to look at these verses of scripture and it says, and they slept their last sleep. That means there was no getting up to claim victory over you. They could not find their hands. Their strength was gone. It was more than handcuffs. The strength of the enemy was laid at the feet of the children of Israel. They got up and there was thousands upon thousands. I said thousands upon thousands. According to the promise of God, he took care of his children. God provisioned victory on the behalf of his people. And it says on the first, first night of the siege, the very first night, it says a hundred, fourscore, and five thousand with their captains and generals were destroyed. You know how many people that is? That's a hundred and eighty-five thousand soldiers were slayed by God. It says they slept their last sleep. Sometimes it takes God to sing their lullaby. But we have to sit back and let God do the singing instead of us doing the whining and complaining and the sniveling and saying, God, you left me by the wayside. He says, just let me sing their last song. Let the words that they hear one last time, I am victorious. God can fight every battle for you. Whether you believe it or not, God is victorious. We find the children of Israel they just but heard the word, and they rested upon it. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know that their generals and the soldiers and those men of might would never get up that next day. They didn't know that the horses and chariots would sit where they were that very moment. But they rested on his word. In our flesh, we find that there were times in our life in the struggles that we encounter, there's disorders to be attacked and subdued and made orderly and put in their proper place. 
There's ignorance and stupidity and brutality that we encounter. And sometimes we give people the excuses around us. When the devil is trying to use them to destroy us, we just say they're just dumb. They're just ignorant. But you have to put things in their place in order for you to claim victory over them. You must realize you're on the battlefield, not sitting in the nursery eating donuts. You have to say, God, this life is real. And I claim victory over it in Jesus' name. But there are times that we create our own battlefield. And saints of God, you know where we place it? Right here. It's a mental battle almost every time. We try to put boundaries around it. We say, oh, I'll handle it from here until God, I hand it over to God. And we... We try to say, God, you gave me victory over this and this and this. I've been victorious. We've handled it this way. I have victory. I've testified and I've said, but then this little thing comes along. It looks so cute. And we pick it up and we say, I can handle this. But we see it just took a mere serpent to beguile Eve. And we think we can handle everything. In our flesh. The biggest mistake we make is we internalize all that's coming at us. And we place it inside of us and said, I can handle this. We can even read the scripture like I read in Tuesday night's Bible study. I can do all things through Christ. There's a reason why you can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. There's a reason why that you can handle things. It's not because you handle it in the flesh. But a good man or woman is one who places their faith in the strength of God and trying to live holy and usefully and bravely and they walk into church or they get up every day and they're putting on Christ and not leaning to their own understanding. It's to him there are, to him there are not only the many enemies of ignorance and vices and the crime, but the inward man surrounded by spiritual issues that plague each and every one of us. And all of us know that we are inadequate to contend with the forces that seem so numerous and powerful. But yet, there be more with us than with him. And with him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us in our battles. Saints of God, it's nothing profound. But I'm here to say some words that God's laid on my heart so that you may rest in his word. You have been worried. You have worked yourself up into a frenzy. You've had to call on others for prayer. You've had to help and try to help others. And you don't have the strength within you. And you've taken and eternalized people's problems. When you just need to hand them over to God. He didn't ask any of us. To be a God to anyone. He didn't ask any of us to be a savior. He didn't ask any of us to do the things he did. But all he did was said, have faith in God. That's all he's asked us to do. In Psalms chapter 25, there's a verse of scripture talking about being triumphant. Triumphant means it's a state of victory over the enemy. In Psalms chapter 25, In verse 2 it says, Oh my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let me not, let not mine enemies triumph over me. 
Apply this verse of scripture to us now. The prayer would imply a desire that we may not be so overcome by our spiritual foes as to bring dishonor on ourselves and on the life through Christ which we profess to love. But that we fall short of becoming the Christian that our God has called us to become. God, don't let the enemies triumph over me. Now we go journey to the New Testament. We look at Ephesians chapter 6 and what the Word is saying to us that we as Christians do not wrestle with just flesh and blood. But it is in these things that the spirit of this world tries to destroy us and to discourage us. In Ephesians chapter 6 and 12 it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the power, rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers. And reading in the ESV here, so some of you may not catch it on the King James. Over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The answer to walking through these times when victory seems to be prejudiced against us is by following the directions that we find in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that it may be able to withstand the evil in that day. And having done all to stand, stand. Rest within the word of God. Rest within his promises to us. We can read the word of God and it says to fasten on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness and your shoes don't forget about your feet and readiness let them be placed upon you the gospel of peace and take up that shield of faith which you can use to extinguish the fiery darts of that evil one and then take on that helmet of salvation and that sword of the spirit which is the word of God and praying at all times. In the spirit. Now you can go get a little book of prayers. And when we were working and so laboring with the Presbyterian church and helping them and doing everything that God had called us to do, so interesting to stand there and have every prayer prescribed. You're going to say this at this point in the service. And I followed that for a few times, and I was talking to Sister Golf, and I said, I understand they have what they call their polity, their order of service, how they do things. But I have found victory that I cannot let their prayers mean what I need in my life. I need to be able to pray what God has done for me. Not something that sounds so great that they reuse every three years on the rolling calendar. And I began to go to the pulpit, push the little program to the side, and begin to pray to God as he was sitting there with us and could feel him. And you begin to feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Saints of God, it's not praying just for the sake of prayers. It's not just mentioning his name just to say you did that day. But it's to truly touch God. It's to truly back up and say, thank you, Jesus. You did it once again. It's letting him confirm in his word and in his presence that you have truly touched God. This is one of the greatest weapons of our spiritual armor 
because you can just put on armor and you can put on some things to make you feel like nothing can touch you. You can put things on that make it feel like nobody can do anything bad to you. But if you do not maintain the armor, if you do not take times to step back and say, I've got a tear, a gash, or this, or that, or something's wrong. You don't maintain the armor. It will begin to lose its strength and its value and begin to crumble and fall apart. Prayer is what keeps us safe. Just because you say, oh, I read the word of God. But do you pray? Do you hold that up? Do you apply what God has put in your heart? And working on you saying, God, change me and make me more. It's more than just saying, I have a set of armor laying up here. Look at it. It's how pretty. But do you put it on? If we could say it in this prayer, saying, restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the meanest saint upon his knees. We must pray. We have to be, we have to be a house of prayer within the house of prayer. We must apply things in our life that takes us from one step to the next. And if I could say it, some of the young people may understand what I'm saying, but there's games that whenever people begin to overachieve and say a, a, a video game and the, the, the creators begin to understand that people have found a way to get around the, uh, the, and use weapons that may not have been uh, prescribed to be used the way they are. And they'll say, we have to nerf them. We have to turn them down. We have to make it to where they're not as strong as what they are. Saints of God, your prayer makes what the devil may think he's throwing at you is this just the sharpest arrow. And he has his imps and his minions pull back and let them fly. But when they hit what God has given to us, it says it will extinguish. It means to make no threat at all. They might as well be throwing campfire flaming marshmallows at you. Because when God is on your side, Satan trembles at the very mention of his name. We don't just walk in this flesh every day. But we are fighting within the spirit realm. Every time we get up in the morning and we throw those covers back and we go about our day, we are stepping into two realms. Either one, the devil tries to destroy us and mesh those together to say, you cannot overcome this. But God says, you can. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about us walking in the flesh and we do not war against uh, the, after the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to be pulling down of strong holds casting down imaginations in every high thing that it exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ there are some verses of scripture we'll talk about later that are about behavior but it all ties together. We are told how Christians should behave and what we should not say and where we should not go and how we should treat our brother. But all of that has a spiritual side to it. 
Just because it tells us not to lie and not to have a double-sided uh, tongue where we're speaking out one side and around one group and around another, it all has a spiritual flip side. And, and God is telling us through his word that there are ways that we should not conduct ourselves. But what's on the other side of that, when we cast all our cares on him, he can handle the spiritual because you cannot have the spiritual side perfect and the outward man imperfect. To have Christ and to put him on, it consumes the inward man and the outward man. Everything that we do in God and all the glory we would ever achieve in the kingdom of God is because we put on Christ. Not because any of us are so talented and so great. Praying always crowns our lawful efforts with success and it gives a victory when nothing else can. And no matter how complete you may think your armor is, and no matter how skilled you may think you are, and how gifted you are in the science of war, and no matter how courageous you think you may be, and how certain you are that you are without prayer, we shall surely be defeated if we don't put on Christ. Step back and look at your problem. Look about and see what's coming at you, which seems about from every side it comes and you are perplexed. And it's if we just go to God in prayer. There's one thing in our life that there's maybe more, I know there is, but we'll reference this one that should never be intermittent. There should never be something that, oh, I'll just use it when I need it. I'm reminded of a story that a man, my father grew up in grade school, and he then went over to Vietnam, and he was stationed in, uh, afterwards, they shipped him over to Korea and stationed him there. And he said, I was at manning a fuel station, and um, he said, I, we had a fuel meter, that there was something just intermittent about it. It wouldn't work, would not always function. And he says, when I came there, they said, there's a little wrench on top of this box. And he said, well, how you fix it is you reach over and tap it. And he said, you could see the paint where it had been worn off on this metal meter. And he said, they would tap it, and all of a sudden the meter began to spin and work again. It was very uh, intermittent in how it functioned. He said, I did that the entire time I was over stationed in Korea. I just did what everybody else said to do. He said, then my replacement came. He said, and then I told him, I said, listen, this thing's real finicky. It doesn't always work. You take this little wrench, and you tap on the side, and it'll begin to work. Got it. He said, I left, discharged, went back to my home, lived my life in the United States, and then word came. His fueling depot that he had been working with all those years, somebody had tapped the box one too many times. And the spark inside of that mechanism ignited fumes that was in that fueling depot and blew up and there was loss of life. Saints of God, we can be so intermittent that when the world needs us to work and we don't, it will impact others around us. We can sit there and say, it's got me by. Look at my reading. I'm still going to church. I'm still praying. I'll reach out to somebody here and there. 
I'll feel the Holy Ghost every once in a while. I'll let the Word of God tap me on the side and draw me and woo me when I feel like it. When the trial's not so bad that I feel like I can handle it myself. And one too many times you can tap on life before someone comes to you and says, I'm in dire need of a miracle. Will you pray? And you haven't touched God for months, weeks, or even years. But they think you're a Christian. Saints of God, fix the problems in our life. And all it takes, we don't have to know how to fix them. We don't know how to open that box and start to check, check this wire and this circuit and this diagnostic code and figure it all out. We don't have to. Just give it to God. Just give it to Him. Let Him change that situation. It is for this very reason that we must not waver in our prayers. Because God gave us a parable of someone who was very persistent. In Luke chapter 18, it talks about this woman. He tells this parable how they ought to pray. Jesus says that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. In a certain city, he talks about a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. But there was a widow who in that city kept coming to him and praying and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while, it says he refused, but afterwards he began to think. And he said to himself, Self, though I neither fear God, nor do I respect man, yet this widow keeps bothering me. I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? God, in his infinite wisdom, gives us a parable of a woman who most would think of weak and without resources. But she had something called being persistent. God honors faithful saints of God in their prayers. Not too long ago, there was a time when I called on someone to pray. And I said, I need you to pray right now. In a situation where I need to feel the touch of God. Laid down the phone, began to pray, and the presence of God just flowed over. Another time where it didn't even feel like I could even pray myself. The pressure and the amount of pressure the devil had put on me. Didn't even feel like I even had the strength to even utter the words myself. And I says, can you pray? I began to pray within my heart. And the presence of God just overflowed. And tears began to well up in my eyes. The strength of prayer. You cannot put value upon it. Just recently was praying with someone in a dire, dire situation. I felt the presence of God just say, ask for peace. And I began to pray. And no sooner had the words come out of my mouth than it felt like an absolute blanket of peace. It was nothing I did. 
It was being so vulnerable, so open, so willing, saying, God, only you can fix this situation. And peace just draped over us. Only God can do that. Only God can step into those situations. And if you just keep going back to him and being persistent. Prayer is our defense against the adversary of our mind. Saints of God, you can sit here and look perfect, but I can tell you as a witness, none of us are. That's why we read in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has a plan for each and every one of us. He wants all of us to reside in victory, but he also wants all of us to step back from our problem and say, God, it's only in you that I can have victory. Now, victory, we sang about it. The song before talks about getting victory. But it's heavily dependent on us doing something. God doesn't just walk into the midst and say, victory, anybody, it's free, here you go, and start handing it out. Just like someone trying to mark up their next gadget or whiz-bang saying, if I can just get it in enough hands, it'll catch on. Victory in Jesus. We have songs in our hymnals and song books and we can sing about them all day long. But until you possess victory, you will never understand the power in which you reside. Until you can have it. Until you can get up in the morning and you can see where God has laid the enemies at your feet to where they have slept their very last sleep. Until you can get up and see them where they have no grip of threat upon you because God has cut off their hands and all they have is just but arms. But you must rest in his word. In Titus, in closing a couple of verses of scripture, I'll read in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Everybody say all men. That all men references each and every one of us. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. We must live a life so that we have the power to step up to the situations that God gives us. And says, devil, that was the last time. Now we can look at this verse in scripture. Oh, that's just telling me how to act. If you don't act right, you can't do right. God gives us power in how we conduct ourselves, telling us, I have brought unto myself a peculiar people. 
That doesn't just mean so specific that, you know, it's, it's only just a very small minority of the church people can achieve this. But he says that we should all live. This appeared unto all men. The grace of God bringeth salvation appeared unto all men. That's all of us. That's every one of us. We must live soberly. I love to have fun. I know there are those here today that love to have fun and play jokes and enjoy the humor of life. And I appreciate the value that it brings to my life. But life is not all fun and games. There are times in your life you have to say, this is the last time. Devil, you have just hoodwinked me for the last time. This is the last time that I have put coins in this machine that is the scam of life that you've tried to tell me this is how life can be so much easier. If you could just, and he convinces the children of God to give up something so precious because it looks easy. In Romans chapter 13 it tells us if we could stand today in Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When I was a young man, I would wear old clothing that my father had. And he had a piece of clothing that I felt very special when I would wear it. It had no longer fit him, as life does to so many of us. It blesses us. And it no longer fit my father, and it would hang up in the closet. And I found it one day, and as sons do, they began to wear things that fit them that their fathers have. It starts off with socks. Next thing you know, they're tall enough to wear your necktie. Next thing you know, dad, I'm out of t-shirts. And you begin to feel that void and begin to get big enough to where you feel like you're somebody. I can wear man's clothes now. But my father had a red jumpsuit that he had provided to him that he wore when he was a fireman. And on the front of it, it said Jonathan Goff. And on the back of it, it said the fire department, a big seal on the back of it. And I would put that suit on and feel something special. It fit me. But then my mind goes back, thinking of all the stories I heard my father tell me. When I came back from this call, I picked up this dead person. When I came back from this one and took my fire suit off, the blood of someone who I had rescued fell out on the floor in the fire station. I had to go tell this person their family was no longer with us. I had to perform life-saving techniques to bring someone back to life. Or the times on 7 Highway coming out of Bonner Springs where I had to step back because the fire was so hot. I couldn't rescue somebody and had to listen to them scream their last scream as fire consumed them. And I stood there wearing a suit that had the fire department's patch, 
had my father's name on it, but it didn't make me a fireman, and it didn't make me Jonathan Goff. The suit that God gave us, it's not just a suit of armor to play around in. It's not the one you just go run around and play in the snow in. But someone so worthy wore it one day. And for us to put on Christ, it's more than just saying, I'm a Christian. We are so fast in secular Christianity to throw the bumper sticker on and throw the little cross around our neck and carry that little Bible and say, I'm a Christian, but you have yet to put on Christ. We are none worthy to put on Christ, but He makes us worthy. When we see Christ for what He really is, and the badge that we are called to put on to say, become like Him, then we are clothed in righteousness for His name's sake. And we can rest in the Word of God. And we can say, devil, for the last time, you have come to me and tried to destroy my life. For the very last time, you have come and you've tried to discourage me from ever stepping foot in this church again. God is trying to get you to put on Christ more than just the badge that says my name is, but to truly, truly put on Christ. Can we lift our hands and talk to Him this morning?